So if you're looking at Canada's economy overall, in general, you see this halo effect around the commodity sector, and, and that tends to bode well for Canada and, and generally should be good for Canadian equities as well. Welcome to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. In these timely episodes, we provide the latest investment news and expert commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. Investors seemed jittery this week as two storm clouds lingered over markets, including the Federal Reserve's potential tapering of asset purchases and the literal bad weather caused by Hurricane Ida, which led to closures of key oil refineries in the U.S. Gulf. In today's episode, Chris McKinney, Matt Montemiro, and your host, Kevin Prince, discuss how fixed income and equity markets are responding to the changing environment, offering numerous trade ideas to help investors stay on the right side of the oil prices and the yield curve. They also dive into trade balances, recent GDP numbers, and strategies to make the most of a slowing economy. Before we hear from the team, please consider subscribing to Views from the Desk on your preferred podcast platform. And for many more ETF insights and resources, visit the Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. Hello, this is Kevin Prince from BMO Exchange Traded Funds. Thank you for joining us again. As we dive in each week into some key issues regarding towards the overall markets and positioning around exchange traded funds. Thank you once again for joining us. And let's get into it today. Let me start off with, of course, the big conversations for the week, which, of course, were the Fed last week and the movements around that aspect of the marketplace. You know, I'm going to hopefully ask Matt, who's joined us today, too, as well as Chris, Matt Monetaro, sorry, and Chris Eakes, who joined us today, to kind of dive into each one of these topics. First, let me start off with you, Matt. Again, that Fed last week, market seems to be a little jittery around that because, of course, you know, Chairman Powell commented that much ground is still need to cover, kind of backing some of the comments that happened the previous week that, you know, there's no urgency to taper right now. The Fed's still looking to start the process by year end. So really, Matt, the question kind of turns to the kind of the fixed income side. This implies, you know, changing policy rates could be further off. So give me some thoughts on you thinking about more the timing and more importantly, the positioning given these announcements more recently. Yeah, absolutely. So the market definitely did like like the comments coming out of Jackson Hole, and but, but overall, I think you know, looking you know, medium to longer term, I don't I don't see much as being changed. I think tapering, you know, it's definitely firmly on the on the Fed's radar, you know, but I they don't seem to be in any hurry to to execute. You know, although we started to see you know the the economy heating up, you know, especially with the last few CPI prints in the U.S. being above five percent. You know, the Fed continues to, to hold firm on their belief that this is uh, pandemic-related and, and purely transitory in nature. So, you know, they definitely do not seem to be in any sort of rush to begin tapering or to uh, look to uh, rise uh, raise rates, you know, on, in the very near term. You know, so without a rush to begin tapering, you know, or, or really starting to consider rising rates, I think that uh, a lot of that was, you know, pent up over the summer saying, you know, is the Fed going to act in September? Are they going to give us something in Jacksonville to surprise the market that they'll they'll start to try to cool down the economy 
because of some of those inflation fears. But you know, overall, I, I do think that the Delta variant um, impact, it's, it's starting to, to really run amok in the U.S. You know, I think it's safe to say that that tapering decision has been pushed out until you know, likely an end of year, you know, 2021 initiative, you know, it, whether it's, you know, November, November, December, or early 2022, it's uh, something that we'll stay tuned on. But, you know, it, it does seem like they want to push it out a little bit and give the economy a little bit more uh, lead time to, to kind of get its uh, firm, firm footing. You know, for me, I, I don't really see these comments as changing my view um, longer term in a, in a very meaningful way. You know, again, you know, we, we all expect the Fed to start tapering. It, it's 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 when and not if. You know, and I do think that's going to add some volatility into the market this fall. You know, I think the overall trend long term is going to be, you know, the expectation of rising rates. Uh, and I do think we're going to continue to see some of that steepening of the yield curve that we that we saw in early 2021 but i do think it's going to be a little bit of a more slower methodical pace more manageable pace than we saw to start 2021 which which really you know had january and february um had some pretty significant and historic steepening in the market i don't think we're going to see as quick of a of a of a steepen this time around you know, I don't, I don't expect, as, as you mentioned, uh, Kevin, I don't expect the Fed to really look at rates until, you know, at a minimum mid, but probably late 2022. You know, I've been pretty firm on that view for, for much of the year. So, you know, if I'm going to be looking at fixed income positioning, you know, longer term, you know, I don't see this announcement really changing your longer term positioning. But I do think that there can be tweaks made on the portfolio now to help you navigate some of the volatility ahead. You know, I would look to maintain some duration exposure to help mitigate some of that equity market volatility. You know, I would complement some of that duration with some maybe shorter duration inflation length or inflation protected exposure to uh, mitigate some of those rising inflation longer term risks. You know, I, I, as I mentioned, I do expect to see some equity market pullbacks and volatility into the fall. You know, we, we've seen uh, markets continue to rise, continue to rally. And, you know, with that tapering decision coming, you know, I do think that there's volatility ahead. So, you know, how do you manage your fixed income in, in this type of environment? You know, this is where I think duration is important. You know, I would use the fixed income allocation of your portfolio uh, as a ballast to help weather that equity market pullback and volatility. You know, as such, I do think that aggregate exposures like Zag um, do are continue to be prudent. I think some long government exposure like ZFL in Canada or ZTL in the U.S. that enables you to to add that duration that you want that that uh, ballast in the portfolio while avoiding uh, you know that significant overweight in credit, which I think uh, if there's volatility ahead, you know a lot of investors may be concerned about. You know, I think those uh, looking at ZTL who are concerned about currency impact, because, you know, we are in a low yielding fixed income environment. You know, you don't want uh, currency to wipe away any sort of or all sort of fixed income returns. You know, ZTL does come in an unhedged U.S. dollar and hedged to CAD. You know, that allows you to completely remove that currency volatility while still getting that duration impact and uh, duration benefit. You know, if I'm going to look longer term now and looking at the potential for rising rates, you know, I would complement that that longer duration um, positioning 
with something that can help uh, with that inflation fear. Uh, so you know, I would look at ZTIP for inflation protection, you know, potentially a 5% allocation, which I think overall on a, a portfolio basis would help you on a risk return perspective. As well, I would look at something a little bit non-traditional fixed income like ZPR for 5 or 10%. You know, it's uncorrelated to traditional fixed income. You know, it gives you a yield enhancement that you might need because you're going a little bit more government heavy than a corporate overweight. And it should help uh, provide some upside as it uh, helps navigate rising rates uh, with its rate reset structure. So that's what I would do in terms of the longer term, you know, rising rate inflation fears. And then finally, just a, just a comment on credit. Uh, overall, you know, I do favor investment grade over high yield at this point. I think if, t- if tapering is on the horizon, I think high yield spreads uh, are going to be the most vulnerable. You know, as well, you know, as rates rise, uh, we will see investors start to move up the credit curve. I think that's that generally happens uh, as investors over the last you know, 18 to 20 months have really, you know, given this low rate environment, have really been forced to reach for yield and search for yield. So they've been allocating away from maybe their traditional investment grade and had to move down the credit curve into high yield. So I do expect a reversal of that. I do expect investors to take some of their profits in, in high yield, which has been a very profitable trade for the last 18 months. And as rates start to rise, then they move back into a more secure uh, allocation in investment grade, you know, moving back into that, that safety and, and starting to generate some of that additional yield that you can as, as rates rise. You know, I, uh, I could also see investment grade spreads uh, widening slightly. I think they, as, we, as we mentioned, if, if we start to see tapering and we start to see some volatility and equity market pullback, you know, there's going to be a little bit of an impact on credit spreads as well. So, but overall, I'm not overly concerned, uh, not concerned in a, in a very meaningful way. I think it's just going to be a slight correction. So I would, I, I still am bullish on, on investment grade spreads. Um, and high yield is where I, I see most of my con- uh, concern at this point. You know, just looking at the U.S., you know, investment grade credit options, you know, I think ZSU is the one to five year. ZMU is the five to 10 year. So providing you, you know, uh, exposure across the curve. And then for those uh, looking for an ESG tilt, which tends to give you a quality tilt on the portfolio, I think we offer ESGS, which might be an interesting solution that you may want to look forward look for uh, this fall for U.S. exposure. Looking to Canada, you know, although our high yield market is much smaller and constrained than the U.S., I think the sentiment still holds. Um, you know, for those looking for some extra yield. And, you know, you could go into high beta fixed income. So, you know, that's Z triple B, which is, which is an option, allows you to get a little bit more yield for your investment grade credit. Um, but overall, for those investors looking to maintain that credit exposure, but, you know, insulating themselves from, from that volatility and some of that downside risk, I would look at two options, Z two B, which is A rated bonds and above, and ESGB. Again, it's that ESG uh, lens in, in a corporate bond fund. Uh, that does tend to put a quality screen on, on your credit exposure. So I think both would be very prudent uh, for uh, as allocations looking to navigate some of the near-term volatility while also expressing some some longer-term views in fixed income. So, you know, those are just my my thoughts in terms of fixed income positioning. You know, I know it started on the conversation of the Fed, but but I do think, you know, in the mid and medium and, and longer term, I think those are some, some options that would be uh, – 
uh, very prudent to implement within the portfolio. Oh, Matt, thanks for that. That's very good detail there. And also appreciate the fact you kind of covered the full perspective of position and alternative position through this market. Because yeah, you're right. It's a little challenging, but certainly prudent to take a look at the portfolio. Think about the steepening, but slower, and then the potential for rate cuts in the future there and then the tweaks around the way. So thanks for that, Matt. I appreciate that. Hey, Chris, let me turn to you and say Chris McKinney, that is. Uh, let's talk a bit about Canada. In this case, you know, we're certainly seeing the, uh, the surpluses now back to back. A strong one came in for Q2 at 3.6 billion, you know, in Q2. Now, ultimately, on top of that, it shows that there's some relative strength in the Canadian economy. But we did see surprising uh, drop in GDP yesterday. So there's some kind of mixed messages out there. You know, what are your thoughts, I guess, on surpluses going forward for Canadian equities? And probably more importantly, let's factor in, you know, we're touching all-time highs. What's some positioning in regard towards Canadian equities out there, Chris? Thanks, Kevin. And, um, yeah, as you mentioned, the current account surplus um, two quarters in a row now um, in the positive. And, uh, you know, this is something that's been in a deficit really since 2008. So, Good to see that starting to turn back around. As you say, that shows some support for the Canadian economy in general. Um, you know, a little bit disappointing to see the GDP come off. But I, I, I think, you know, we're, uh, where we're talking about GDP, you know, these estimates uh, that we have, uh, you know, they, they're, they're really hard to peg down simply because you're looking at year-over-year numbers. Um, obviously, last year was an extraordinary year and this year also extraordinary. So it's hard to, to peg down what those... Uh, are going to turn out to be on a year-over-year basis. So it's not too surprising um, that estimate was, was missed a little bit. Um, going back to the current account, um, just taking a look at, you know, what some of the drivers were of that, because, again, it's it's really only been a couple quarters now that we've been in the positive um, since uh, over the last, you know, decade plus. Um, and so if you take a look at the numbers that were reported in Q2, what I've done is compared them to Q2 of 2019, so two years ago, pre-pandemic, just to see you know where the biggest changes have come from. Um, and on the good side, you know, no surprise, it's really the energy products as well as forestry products. So those resources, those natural resources and commodities that Canada is very well known for, um, obviously demand globally for these continues as uh, economic expansion continues. That's generally very good for commodities and, and resources. Um, and so as the prices have gone up, um, you know, the, the surplus uh, in this area has gone up over the last couple of years as well. And again, this is something that is really no surprise um, as Canada is, is, is full of, uh, you know, energy, commodities, natural resources. And, and we've seen prices of these things, particularly lumber on the forestry side, right? Um, prices going through the roof and demand continuing for these. So no surprise there. Um, on the other side, on the services side, um, you know, we've seen significant improvement, again, going comparing to two years ago. Uh, most of that, of course, though, is travel related. So travel and transport related um, is something that has really obviously fallen off a cliff, um, really compared to where we were two years ago, both in terms of what Canadians spend abroad um, and then what foreigners spend in Canada as well. So um, something that typically is a deficit in Canada's current account balance, 
um, in quote unquote normal times has turned into a, a positive here. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, going forward, how much of this surplus Canada can continue to hold on to as uh, economies reopen, as borders reopen. I think one thing for sure, though, that we can we're, we're pretty sure of is that in the near term, at least in the next couple of quarters, um, I don't think that service and that travel related sector is really going to be changing too much. I think, you know, obviously border controls are still in place. And if anything, they're starting to go back in the other direction. We're starting to see more restrictions potentially being talked about globally um, in terms of movement across borders. And so that's really the wild card again, is that travel element of that, the, the, the current account balance. Um, but for the next couple quarters, at least, I, I don't think that uh, that's going to change all that much. And so, you know, again, really going back to what does this mean investment wise and for, for Canadian equities, you know, really it is a positive to show that, um, you know, through this time uh, where there are certain restrictions still on, on economic activity, um, you know, that Canada can have this current account surplus and there's, there's still significant demand for, um, again, these commodities and resource related um, areas of the economy. And so if you're looking at um, Canada's economy overall, generally it tends to do well when that uh, commodity sector does well. Um, you know, that leads to better employment, that leads to more consumer spending. And, uh, you know, the financial sector, banking-wise, that tends to benefit um, from that economic activity as well. And so, in general, you see this halo effect around the, the commodity sector, and, and that tends to bode well for Canada and, and generally should be good for Canadian equities as well uh, going forward. So, whether you're looking at ZCN as a, as a pure sort of beta play on Canada, of course, you know, a good chunk of that is in that energy area and of course another another good chunk in the financial sector and materials as well so um, you know that's that's certainly a good way to play it uh, if you just want exposure to Canada and, and have that um, exposure on um, you know other ways to play it if you want to um, avoid that uh, energy sector if you if you think there's softness is to um, mix in a little bit of that low vol exposure so ZLB really has a, a very little energy exposure um, and so someone who wants to moderate uh, their exposure to that sector could either combine ZLB with ZCN or simply just go to ZLB by itself. Um, but we think this is an area that, that should continue to, to do well going forward. Um, the other thing that a current account surplus um, can lead to is, is really a stronger currency. And so not necessarily in the equity market, but when you're looking at whether you're investing in international equities or you're investing in fixed income, that decision to hedge that currency um, back to Canadian dollars or not um, is a decision that, that investors have to make because for the most part, you know, we try to offer exposures in both currency hedged and unhedged versions. And so, you know, whether you decide or not, you, again, you're making a decision whether you're going to uh, hedge or not. Um, there's always a decision to be made there. And so, again, the current account surplus, um, you know, if that continues over the next few quarters, that really provides a, a base um, to that currency. And so that's really important when we have economies globally um, with the quantitative easing that's happening. You know, we are starting to talk about tapering and we've seen it in Canada. We're talking about it in the U.S. Certainly it looks like Europe is, is not slowing down at any point at all. But when you have um, globally a large amount of quantitative easing that generally leads to debasement of currencies, you know, the question is, if all currencies are going down, which which ones go up? 
Um, and so I think with the current account surplus, countries that have that surplus, you will see that currency have a bit more um, of a floor to it. You're not going to see that currency debasement too much. And so again, when investors are thinking about um, that currency hedging decision, um, you know, keep that in the back of your mind that, that certainly for, for this quarter, obviously we saw that surplus, but going forward, um, if we don't expect too much to change over the next few quarters, you could continue to see that, that floor under that currency. And so a, a nice support to that. And so you could be pretty um, uh, sure that, you know, the currency is not going to devalue too much, uh, at least on a, on a relative basis to what we're, what we're seeing globally. And so I think that's something other, uh, another factor investors can think about when they're looking at that current account surplus and in, in subsequent quarters, what we see there. Yeah, that, that's actually very good perspective. You're right. It's not only just a decision on Canadian equities, but it's also a consideration on your international exposures, US too for that matter, and the hedging around that. So thanks, Chris. That's, uh, that's, Interesting thoughts. You are listening to Views from the Desk, a weekly edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. If you're enjoying today's discussion, we encourage you to check out our deep dive episodes where we take you under the hood of BMO GAM's product suite. Check out episode 83 in the same podcast series where Brian Belsky, Chief Investment Strategist at BMO Capital Markets, introduces his new U.S. all-cap strategy. This exciting new ETF, ticker ZACE, ZACE, helps you invest across all market cap exposures to capture growth in companies both big and small. Hey, Chris, you, you talked about low energy exposure within ZLB, which is kind of leading to my next question. I hope you can dive into this with me. We certainly saw, you know, Hurricane Ida in the States battling the golf course and and that kind of brings up some key considerations in regards towards energy. And I kind of look at it twofold. Number one, you know, what does this mean for traditional uh, energy equity companies out there, right? Because given the impacts to refineries and, and demand for oil out there, as well as on the other side, the climate change aspect. So let's dive into the first part first. You know, thinking about the hurricane, of course, and um, and the impacts towards refineries out there, and of course, the demand for oil. What's your thoughts in regards towards a ZEO or equally oil and gas uh, ETF right now? Sure, and, and taking a look at that oil price, you know, most of 2020 and in the back half of 2020, and pretty much most of 2021 was about increasing oil prices, you know, coming off those lows after COVID shutdowns as economies reopen and economic activity continues um, or expands. Um, you know, that tends to drive the oil price up. And so that's what we saw through most of, of this year so far. Of course, August was actually more about that price coming back off those recent highs. So after touching, you know, $75 a, a barrel um, earlier in the year, we've seen that price come down a little bit uh, uh, through August. Um, but then with this, of course, uh, hurricane and disruption to refineries, we've seen that bounce back a little bit now. So, you know, certainly in the short term, we think this creates again a little bit of a base for the for the oil price um, as there is these refinery interruptions. Um, that's more of a, a near-term effect. However, of course, we are still just right in the middle of hurricane season, and you know probably another three months or so to go. Um, you know that raises the question: Is there going to be any other um, sort of weather-related impacts to refinery uh, capacity um, in, in the southern U.S.? 
certainly it's not just um, uh, this one that we have to worry about, but are there going to be any others on the horizon? Um, and so again, going back to you know previous comments, you know just around global economic activity, um, as that continues to you know hopefully um, you know improve and, and expand, we think there is a, a base longer term for for oil prices as well. And so um, you know outside of this short term impact that we're seeing um, from the refineries in the south. Um, we think there is a, a decent base for, for oil prices going forward as well. And so that, I would think, bodes well for ZEO. You know, certainly um, we are near the higher end of where we've seen oil trading over the last couple of years. So um, you, know, you don't necessarily get a huge upside from oil price itself. But when we're talking about ZEO and oil-related equities, really all you need is a sustained level of, of higher oil prices. It doesn't have to stay at all-time highs. Um, as long as it doesn't um, drop precipitously, um, you know, over the long term, that should benefit oil companies uh, in general. And so we think, um, you know, ZEO, and again, going back to ZCN is just broad Canada with a good chunk of that in the energy sector. Uh, we think that makes for a good allocation uh, through the rest of, of 2021 and, and into 2022 as well, certainly. Um, as for the second part of the question, you know, ironically, uh, as we're talking about energy, uh, you know, there might be some that would that would say, you know, the increased level of hurricanes and, um, you know, stronger hurricanes is a result of climate change, potentially. Um, and so the need for, for cleaner energy uh, on a on a long, long term basis um, is required here. And so, um, you know, we saw 2020 was was really about exponential growth in that clean energy space. You know, you know, companies that were really not on the radar by the end of 2020 were very highly valued. Um, and to start this year, we've we've seen that come off a little bit, but there has been a base um, sort of established. If you look at um, the ETF that we offer, ZCLN, Z Clean, we call it. Um, you know, coming off the highs in January. Um, but but the good news there is again we re really seems to have found a base there. Um, it's been trading kind of trending sideways a little bit over the last few months. But I think you know the story here is that it is really a long term story when we come when it comes to clean energy and alternative energy sources. You will see other bouts of this type of volatility. There could be exponential run ups, but there could be sell offs um, that go with that as well. But over the long term. Um, and we're talking 5, 10, 15, 20 years, um, we think this is going to be a, a huge sector going forward simply because um, of the need for alternative energy sources. Um, you know, again, we've talked about this a few times on, on, these, on these podcasts uh, about governments um, pledging zero carbon, about companies pledging net zero emissions um, with certain targets, again, 10, 20 um, years out or so. Um, and so the need for cleaner energy sources, the, the transfer to electric vehicles uh, will require a lot of these different energy sources to, to be um, utilized. And so you'll see significant demand and investment in these areas. So we think it's a great investment. Again, long term, um, that clean energy story, we think makes a lot of sense. But over the short term, you could conti continue to see some volatility there. Um, but we would utilize that volatility to potentially add to exposures again, with a, a long-term focus in mind. Yeah, Chris, thanks for that. So, gentlemen, we have some time for a few questions. I got emailed in earlier on. So, first one's coming in in regards towards the most quality ETFs, ZGQ, ZUQ specifically. 
And and the fact that there's been a strong run of performance, basically looking for a little bit of an outlook on the quality factor here and what does that make sense and the potential outlines of maybe a bull or bear market trade? Sure, I can can take that one as well. Um, You know, quality we think is probably one of the best ways um, to play the equity market in the near term going forward. Um, you know, certainly, you know, going back to your first question about the Fed and their comments on tapering and on raising interest rates, you know, we see that um, in the next, you know, call it six to 12 months as being a, a shift in in the Federal Reserve's uh, monetary policy, right? Um, you know, some of these emergency measures are going to be taken away. That doesn't mean they're going to start tightening with interest rates, but some of the emergency related measures are going to be taken away. And, and so through that transition, there is potential for equity market volatility as well. Matt talked a lot about um, the fixed income and rates market volatility, but that could translate into the equity markets as well. Um, and so looking for a quality exposure, you know, these are companies that have a very um, stable earning streams. Um, and so that's, that's really the main thing you want to, you want to look for uh, when you're talking about potential equity market volatility, is there going to be some unevenness in equity pricing um, in the economic activity um, and if there is, you know, you want to go, you know, if there's some, uh, a bit of a sell-off, you want to be uh, exposed to those companies that, again, have that lower um, earnings variability, consistent earnings stream, uh, regardless of economic uh, conditions is, is really what you want, because that kind of gives you a little bit of a floor in terms of how far these equities can sell off, because those, uh, the earnings stream is going to continue to come through. Um, at the same time, if equity markets do well and respond well to this tapering activity um, that, that's going to eventually happen, you know, you are exposed to quality companies that should do strong over time. And, and, and so you, you still have that exposure to the growth element of the equity market. Um, and so, you know, in terms of quality, you know, we offer three different exposures. We have ZUQ for U.S. quality, um, also a, a hedged version of that. We have ZGQ which is global, and so that includes emerging markets as well. And then we have ZEQ, which is European uh, quality equities. And so depending on which region you're looking for, what geographic exposure you're looking for, um, you know, we, we really like quality as a way to gain access to those equity markets um, because of that potential volatility we see coming um, over the next several months. Thanks for that, Chris. Hi. You know, quality has certainly been a strong performance. It's good to see that there's a, a good uh, case to consider to look at that going forward, too. You know, Chris, maybe I can, I can give the last one to you, too, if you don't mind. Um, this question is just more of a general one. Uh, the advisor looking for a client respectively around growth and income and how to position a portfolio around growth and income coming into this fall. Give us some thoughts on that if you can. Yeah, I can I can probably mention a couple of things there. Um, you know, when it comes to growth and income, you know, uh, we always tend to lean towards our covered call suite. Um, you know, something that BMO is pretty well known for in the ETF space. We have a wide variety of covered call ETFs that provide uh, exposure to equities that that give you that growth potential, but also with that covered call overlay to give you a nice income stream on top of that. Um, you know, maybe two sectors. Uh, that we think should should perform well over the next year or so are the technology sector, again, uh, led by some of those quality names, Microsoft, Apple, and the like, um, uh, and the financial sector, particularly in the U.S., if you do see a little bit of that steepening, as, as Matt was talking about as well. So, 
Um, I would look to our covered call technologies, ZWT, um, and our U.S. banks, ZWK, um, as a couple of those areas where you have some pretty good growth potential from those underlying equities. Um, but again, with a covered, nice covered call overlay, you get a, a really strong income stream and again, a tax efficient income stream as well as those option premiums or taxes capital gains. So those two portfolios, I think, give you a nice balance of, again, growth potential with a nice income stream on top of it. Um, of course, if you're looking for more income um, and only a little bit of growth, I would, I would say our premium yield ETF um, provides a little bit of that. That's uh, ZPay is the ticker. Um, and that one is a bit more income focused with a little less of the equities. Um, and so you, you'll have some growth potential, but that's more focused on the income side. So those are three on the, on the equity side. And maybe I'll just pass it to Matt um, to, to give a couple ideas on the uh, fixed income side. Yeah, absolutely, Chris. And, and you know, I think I, I discussed it in, in some of my positioning where, you know, I do think that there's, uh, you know, some potential weakness in, in high yield credit ahead. But I, I do understand that, you know, for a lot of investors, that does leave uh, a gap in terms of some, some income needs. So, you know, I think I, I did mention that I, I am bullish on investment grade credit. So in Canada, you know, isolating something like triple uh, B credit. So Z triple B is, is a good example, might be a way for you to enhance your yield while still um, getting exposure to that investment grade credit or something looking uh, uh, internationally and looking at something like ZES, which is our uh, emerging market bond uh, hedge back to CAD ETF. You know, I think one of the, the emerging markets have struggled a little bit over the summer trying to battle the, the Delta variant. But, you know, I think from a uh, allocation perspective, it, it does provide some, some nice diversification benefits within a portfolio. And it does give you that yield enhancement that you were looking for potentially with your old allocation of high yield. Uh, I think one of the benefits of ZES is that it's about 65 to 70% investment grade um, and about you know, 30 to 35% uh, high yield. So what you're doing is you're getting a little bit of a hybrid exposure. Again, you are moving that trend, moving up the credit curve, um, moving from a corporate exposure to a sovereign exposure while not uh, diminishing your yield target uh, as much as uh, uh, it would be the difference between high yield and investment grade. Uh, credit. So, you know, I think that's uh, those are two different options that you can look at to uh, to enhance your yield in the portfolio. Uh, I think both uh, would have uh, positive outlooks and have a, have a great position in your uh, in your portfolio going forward. Thanks for that, Matt, and thanks for that, Chris, too, and thanks both of you for joining us today and sharing your expertise, as well as thank you for the audience for also joining us. Always appreciate you taking your time to get some insights across the board. Now, I do want to highlight, we'll be off next week, coming back the following week. So have yourself a good two weeks ahead. Thank you for joining us again. Cheers. Thank you to Kevin Prince, Chris McCaney, and Matt Montemuro for joining us on the BMO ETFs podcast. Today, we heard about several ideas to manage interest rate risk from ZAG or ZAG, BMO's aggregate bond ETF, to Zipper, ticker symbol ZPR, an ETF that provides specific exposure to the preferred shares market. Investors also learned how ZEO is able to withstand the volatility in crude oil prices, giving your clients an opportunity to stay invested in energy while maintaining downside protection. For more information about the ETFs discussed in this podcast, check out the episode notes, contact your regional BMO ETF specialist, or visit the Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. That's bmoetfs.ca. 
The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio managers represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice to any party. Investments should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives, and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statement that necessarily depends on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. Views from the Desk has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management.